The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall A sweet and powerful encouragement to the war. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians 6 verse 10 The apostle begins his speech with the word of encouragement to battle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The best way indeed to prepare them for the following directions. A soul deeply possessed with fear and dispirited with strong apprehensions of danger is in no posture for counsel. As we see in any army, when put to flight by some sudden alarm or apprehension of danger, it is hard rallying them into order until the fright occasioned by it is over. Therefore the apostle first raises up their spirits. Be strong in the Lord. As if he should say, perhaps some drooping souls find their hearts fail them while they see their enemies so strong and they so weak, so numerous and they so few, so well appointed and they so naked and unarmed, so skillful and expert at arms, but they green and raw soldiers. Let not these or any other thoughts dismay you, but with undaunted courage, march on and be strong in the Lord, on whose performance lies the stress of battle, and not on your skill or strength. It is not the least of a minister's care and skill in dividing the word, so to press the Christian's duty is not to oppress his spirit with the weight of it, by laying it on the creature's own shoulders and not on the Lord's strength, as here our apostle teaches us. In this verse, under four heads or branches, we have first a familiar appellation, my brethren. Second, an exhortation, be strong. Third, a cautionary direction annexed to the exhortation, in the Lord. Fourth, an encouraging amplification of the direction, and in the power of his might, or in his mighty power. The appellation, my brethren, the exhortation, be strong. We have, first, a familiar appellation, my brethren. This we shall wave and begin with, the exhortation, be strong. That is, be of good courage. So commonly used in scripture phrase, be strong and courageous, Second Chronicles 32, verse 7. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, Isaiah 35, verse 4. Or unite all the powers of your souls and muster up your whole force, for you will have use for all you can make or get. From whence the point is, the Christian of all men needs courage and resolution. Indeed, there is nothing that he does as a Christian or can do, but is an act of valor. A cowardly spirit is beneath the lowest duty of a Christian. Be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest, what, stand in battle against those warlike nations? No, but that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you, Joshua 1 verse 7. It requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army of men to be a Christian, than a captain. What seems less than for a Christian to pray? 
yet this cannot be performed aright without a princely spirit. As Jacob is said to behave himself like a prince, when he did but pray, for which he came out of the field, God's banneret. Indeed, if you call that prayer which a carnal person performs, nothing is more poor and dastardly like. Such an one is as great a stranger to this enterprise as a craven soldier to the exploits of a valiant chieftain. The Christian in prayer comes up close to God with a humble boldness of faith and takes hold of him, wrestles with him, yea, will not let him go without a blessing, and all this in the face of his own sins and divine justice, which let fly upon him from the fiery mouth of the law. While the other's boldness in prayer is but the child, either of ignorance in his mind or hardness in his heart, in which not feeling his sins and not knowing his danger, he rushes upon duty with a blind confidence, which soon quells when conscience awakes and gives him the alarm that his sins are upon him as the Philistines on Samson. Alas! Then in a fright the poor-spirited wretch throws down his weapons, flies the presence of God with guilty Adam, and dares not look him in the face. Indeed, there is no duty in the Christian's whole course of walking with God, or acting for God, but is lined with many difficulties, which shoot like enemy through the hedges at him, while he is marching towards heaven, so that he is put to dispute every inch of ground as he goes. There are only a few noble-spirited souls who dare take heaven by force that are fit for this calling. For the further proof of this point, see some few pieces of service that every Christian engages in. First, the Christian is to proclaim and prosecute an irreconcilable war against his bosom sins. Those sins which have lain nearest his heart must now be trampled under his feet. So, David, I have kept myself from my iniquity. Now what courage and resolution does this require? You think Abraham was tried to purpose when called to take his son? His son Isaac, his only son whom he loved? Genesis 22, verse 2. And offer him up with his own hands, and no other. Yet what was that to this? Soul, take your lust, your only lust which is the child of your dearest love, your Isaac, the sin which has caused the most joy and laughter, from which you have promised yourself the greatest return of pleasure or profit. As ever you look to see my face with comfort, lay hands on it and offer it up, pour out the blood of it before me, run the sacrificing knife of mortification into the very heart of it, and this freely, joyfully, for it is no pleasing sacrifice that is offered with a countenance cast down. And all this now, before you have one embrace more from it. Truly, this is a hard chapter. Flesh and blood cannot bear this saying. Our lust will not lie so patiently on the altar as Isaac, or as a lamb that is brought to the slaughter which was dumb. But it will roar and shriek. Yea, even shake and rend the heart with his hideous outcries. Who is able to express the conflicts, the wrestlings, the convulsions of spirit the Christian feels before it can bring his heart to this work? Or who can fully set forth the art, 
the rhetorical insinuations with which such a lust will plead for itself. 1. While Satan will extenuate and mince the matter, it is but a little one. Oh, spirit, and your soul shall live for all that. Another, while he flatters the soul with the secrecy of it. You may keep me in your credit also. I will not be seen abroad in your company to shame you among your neighbors. Shut me up in the most retired room you have in your heart, from the hearing of others. If he will only let me now and then have the wanton embraces of your thoughts and affections in secret. If that cannot be granted, then Satan will seem only to desire execution may be stayed a while, as Jephthah's daughter of her father. Let me alone a month or two, and then do to me according to that which has proceeded out of your mouth. Judges 11, verses 36 and 37. Well knowing, few such reprieved lusts, but at last obtain their full pardon, yea, recover their favor with the soul. Now what resolution does it require to break through such violence and importunity, and notwithstanding all of this, to do present execution? Here the valiant swordsmen of the world have showed themselves mere cowards, who have come out of the field with victorious banners, and then lived, yea, died, slaves to a base lust at home. As one could say of a great Roman captain, who, as he rode in his triumphant chariot through Rome, had his eye never off a courtesan that walked along the street, behold how this goodly captain that had conquered such potent armies is himself conquered by one silly woman. Second, the Christian is to walk singularly, not after the world's guise. Romans 12, verse 2. We are commanded not to be conformed to this world, that is, not to accommodate ourselves to the corrupt customs of the world. The Christian must not be of such a complying nature as to cut the code of his profession according to the fashion of the times, or the humor of the company he falls into, like that courtier who, being asked how he could keep his preferment in such changing times, which one while had a prince for popery, another while against popery answered. He was not a stubborn oak, but bending osier that could yield to the wind. No, the Christian must stand fixed to his principles and not change his habit, but freely show what countryman he is by his holy constancy in the truth. Now what an odium, what snares, what dangers does the singularity expose a Christian to? Some will hoot and mock him, as one in a Spanish fashion would be laughed at in your streets. Thus Macaul flouted David. Indeed, the world counts the Christian for his singularity of life, the only fool, which I thought gave the first occasion to that nickname in which men commonly express a silly man or a fool. Such a one, they say, is a mere Abraham, that is, in the world's account, a fool. But why in Abraham? Because Abraham did that which carnal reason, the world's idol, laughs at, is mere folly. He left a present estate in his father's house to go he knew not where, to receive an inheritance he knew not when. And truly such fools all the saints are branded for by the wise world. You know the man in his communication, said Jehu to his companions, asking what that mad fellow came for, who was no other than a prophet, Second Kings 9, verse 11. Now, 
It requires courage to despise a shame which a Christian must expect to meet with for his singularity. Shame is that which proud nature most disdains, to avoid which many durst not confess Christ openly, John 7, verse 13. Many lose heaven because they are ashamed to go in a fool's coat there. Again, if some will mock, so others will persecute to death, merely for this nonconformity in the Christian's principles and practices to them. This is a trap laid for the three children. They must dance before Nebuchadnezzar's pipe or burn. This is a plot laid to ensnare Daniel, who walked so unblameably that his very enemies gave him this testimony that he had no fault but a singularity in his religion. Daniel 6 verse 5 It is a great honor to a Christian, yea, to religion itself, and all their enemies can say is, they are precise and will not do as we do. Now in such a case as this, when the Christian must turn or burn, leave praying or become a prey to the cruel teeth of bloody men, how many politic retreats and self-preserving distinctions would a cowardly, unresolved heart invent? The Christian that has so great opposition had need to be well locked into the saddle of his profession, or else he will soon be dismounted. Third, the Christian must keep on his way to heaven in the midst of all the scandals that are cast upon the ways of God by the apostasy and foul falls of false professors. There were ever such in the church who by their sad miscarriages and judgment and practice have laid a stone of offense in the way of profession at which weak Christians are ready to make a stand as they at the bloody body of Asahel, Second Samuel 2 verse 22, not knowing whether they may venture any further in their profession, seeing such whose gifts they so much admired lie before them wallowing in the blood of their slain profession from being zealous professors to prove perhaps fiery persecutors, from being strict performers of religious duties, to prove irreligious atheists, no more like the men they were some years past, than the Vell of Sodom, now a bog and a quagmire is, to what it was, when for fruitfulness compared to the garden of the Lord. We had need of a holy resolution to bear up against such discouragements and not to faint, as Joshua, who lived to see the whole camp of Israel, a very few accepted revolting and in their hearts turning back to Egypt. And yet with an undaunted spirit maintained his integrity, yea, resolved though not a man beside would bear him company, yet he would serve the Lord. Fourth, the Christian must trust in a withdrawing God, Isaiah 50 verse 10. Let him that walks in darkness and sees no light trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. This requires a holy boldness of faith, indeed, to venture into God's presence, as Esther into Ahasuerus, when no smile is to be seen on his face, no golden scepter of the promise perceived by the soul is held forth to embolden it to come near than to press in with this noble resolution. If I perish, I perish. Esther 4, verse 16. Nay, more, to trust not only in a withdrawing, but a killing God. Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
Not when his love is hid, but when his wrath breaks forth. Now for a soul to make its approaches to God by a recumbency of faith, while God seems to fire upon it and shoot his frowns like envenomed arrows into it, is hard work. It will try the Christian's mettle to purpose. Yet such a masculine spirit we find in the poor woman of Canaan who takes up the bullets of Christ shot at her and with a humble boldness of faith sends them back again in her prayer. Fifth, the believer is to persevere in his Christian course to the end of his life. His work and his life must go off the stage together. This adds weight to every other difficulty of the Christian's calling. We have known many who have gone into the field and liked the work of a soldier for a battle or two, but soon have had enough and come running home again. But few can bear it as a constant trade. Many are soon engaged in holy duties, easily persuaded to take up a profession of religion, and is easily persuaded to lay it down, like the new moon which shines a little in the first part of the night, but is down before half the night is gone. Lightsome professors in their youth, whose old age is wrapped up in thick darkness of sin and wickedness. Oh, this persevering is a hard word. This taking up the cross daily, this praying always, this watching night and day, and never laying aside our clothes and armor. I mean indulging ourselves to remit and unbend in our holy waiting on God and walking with God. This sends many sorrowful away from Christ. Yet this is a saint's duty to make religion as everyday work, without any vacation from one end of the year to the other. These few instances are enough to show what need the Christian has of resolution. Application First This gives us reason why there are so many professors and so few Christians indeed, so many that run and so few obtain, so many go into the field against Satan and so few come out conquerors, because all have a desire to be happy, but few have courage and resolution to grapple with the difficulties that meet them in the way to their happiness. All Israel came joyfully out of Egypt under Moses' conduct, yea, in a mixed multitude with them. But when their bellies were pinched with a little hunger, and the greedy desires of a present Canaan deferred, yea, instead of peace and plenty, war and penury, they like white-livered soldiers are ready to fly from their colors and make a dishonorable retreat into Egypt. Thus the greatest part of those who profess the gospel, when they come to push a pike to be tried what they will do, denied to endure for Christ, they grow sick of their enterprise. Alas, their hearts fail them. They are like the waters of Bethlehem. But if they must dispute their passage with so many enemies, they will even content themselves with their own cistern, and leave heaven to others who will venture more for it. Oh, how many part with Christ at this crossway. Like Orpah, they go a furlonger to with Christ, while he goes to take them off from their worldly hopes and bids them prepare for hardship, and then they fairly kiss him and leave him, loath indeed to lose heaven, but more loath to buy it at so dear a rate." Like some greenheads that childishly make choice at some sweet trade, such as is the confectioners, from a licorice tooth they have to the junkets it affords. But meeting with sour sauce of labor and toil that goes with them, they give in and are weary of their service. 
So the sweet bait of religion has drawn many to nibble at it, who are offended with the hard service it calls to. It requires another spirit than the world could give or receive to follow Christ fully. Second, let this then exhort you Christians to labor for this holy resolution and prowess, which is so needful for your Christian profession, that without it you cannot be what you profess. The fearful are in the forlorn of those that march for hell, Revelation 21. The violent and valiant are they which take heaven by force. Cowards never won heaven. Say not that you have royal blood running in your veins and are begotten of God, except you can prove your pedigree by this heroic spirit, to dare to be holy despite men and devils. The eagle tries her youngs by the sun. Christ tries his children by their courage, that dare to look on the face of death and danger for his sake. Mark 8, verses 34 and 35. Oh, how uncomely a sight is it to see a bold sinner and a fearful saint, one resolved to be wicked, and a Christian wavering in his holy course, to see guilt, put innocence to flight, and hell keep the field, impudently braving it with displayed banners of open profaneness, to see saints hide their colors for shame, or run from them for fear, who should rather wrap themselves in them and die upon the place and thus betray the glorious name of God which is called upon by them to the scorn of the uncircumcised? Take heart, therefore, O you saints, and be strong. Your cause is good. God himself espouses your quarrel, who has appointed you as son, general of the field, called the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2, verse 10. He shall lead you on with courage and bring you off with honor. He lived and died for you. He will live and die with you. For mercy and tenderness to his soldiers, there is none like him. Trajan, it is said, rent his clothes to bind up his soldiers' wounds. Christ poured out his blood as balm to heal his saints' wounds. Tears off his flesh to bind them up. For prowess, none to compare with him. He never turned his head from danger. No, not when the hell's malice and heaven's justice appeared and filled against him. Knowing all that should come upon him, he went forth and said, Whom seek ye? John 18, verse 4. For success, inseparable. He never lost battle, even when he lost his life. He won the field, carrying the spoils of it in the triumphant chariot of his ascension to heaven with him where he makes an open show of them to the unspeakable joy of saints and angels. You march in the midst of gallant spirits, your fellow soldiers, everyone, the son of a prince. Behold some enduring with you here below a great a flight of afflictions and temptation. Take heaven by storm and force. Others you may see after many assaults, repulses, and rallyings of their faith and patience, got upon the walls of heaven, conquerors, from whence they do as it were look down and call you their fellow brethren on earth to march up the hill after them, crying aloud, fall on, and the city is your own, and now it is ours, who for a few days' conflict are now crowned with heaven's glory, one moment's enjoyment of which has dried up all our tears, healed all our wounds, and made us forget the sharpness of the fight with the joy of our present victory." In a word, Christians, God and angels are spectators, observing how you quit yourselves like children of the Most High. 
Every exploit your faith does against sin of Satan causes a shout in heaven. While you valiantly prostrate this temptation, scale that difficulty, regain the other ground, you even now lost out of your enemy's hands. Your dear Savior, who stands by with a reserve for your relief at a pinch, his very heart leaps within him for joy to see the proof of your love to him, and seal for him in all your combats, and will not forget all the faithful service you have done in his wars on earth. But when you come out of the field, will receive you with the like joy as he was entertained himself at his return to heaven of his father. Now, Christian, if you mean thus courageously to bear up against all opposition and the march to heaven, as you would do well to raise your spirit with such generous and soul-ennobling thoughts, so in a special manner look your principles be well fixed, or else your heart will be unstable. And an unstable heart is weak as water. It cannot excel in courage. Two things are required to fix our principles first, and establish judgment in this truth of God. He that knows not well what or whom he fights, for, may soon be persuaded to change his side, or at least stand neutral. Such may be found that go for professors that can hardly give an account what they hope for, or whom they hope in, yet Christians they must be thought, though they run before they know their errand. Or if they have some principles they go upon, they are so unsettled that every wind blows them down like loose tiles from the housetop. Blind zeal is soon put to a shameful retreat, while holy resolution, while holy resolution built on fast principles, lifts up its head like a rock in the midst of the waves. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Daniel 11 verse 32. The angel told Daniel, who were the men that would stand to their tackling and bear up for God in that hour, both of temptation and persecution, which should be brought upon them by Antiochus, that not all the Jews, but some of them should be corrupted basely by flatteries, others scared by threats out of their profession, only a few of fixed principles who knew their God whom they served and were grounded in their religion, these should be strong and do exploits, that is, to flatteries they should be incorruptible, into power and force, unconquerable. Second, a sincere aim at the right end of our profession. Let a man be never so knowing in the things of Christ, if his aim is not right in his profession, that man's principles will hang loose. He will not venture much or far for Christ, no more or no further than he can save his own stake. A hypocrite may show some metal at hand, some courage for a spurt in conquering some difficulties, but he will show himself a jade at length. He that has a false end in his profession will soon come to an end of his profession when he is pinched on that toe where his corn is. I mean, called to deny that which his naughty heart aimed at all this while. Now his heart fails him. He can go no further. Oh, take heed of this squint eye to our profit, pleasure, and honor or anything beneath Christ in heaven. For they will take away your heart, as the prophet saith of wine and women, that is, our love. And if our love be taken away, there will be little courage left for Christ. How courageous was Jehu at first, and he tells the world it is zeal for God. But why does his heart fail him then, before half his work is done? 
His heart was never right set. That very thing that stirred up his ill at first, at last quenched and cowed it, and that was ambition. His desire of a kingdom made him zealous against Ahab's house, to cut off them who might in time jostle him beside the throne, which done, and he quietly settled, he dare not go through stitch with God's work, lest he should lose what he got by provoking the people with a thorough reformation. Like some soldiers who, when once they meet with a rich booty at the sacking of some town, are spoiled for fighting ever after.